Hi, I'm Billy, a developmental paediatrician. And I'm Nick, a developing parent. We're going to use scenes from iconic movies to talk about how we best support our kids. This is Pop Culture Parenting. Hey, don't let your mother smell that beer on your breath. She'll take it out on me. Daddy, and what does he do? Just use your best judgment. We trust you. Good afternoon, Billy. How are you? Good, Nick. Yeah, how are you going? Yeah, really well. Here on a beautiful Sunday, actually. Not as cold as previous weeks. We're here mm. for episode 18. Yes. Got the number right this time. <laughs> yeah, we've only got wrong once. Um, but we're on top of things now. Look at us. Mm, yes. Had some pretty big meetings about the podcast and everything this week. Yeah. Had had some great meetings. <laughs> you get so excited. You throw me curveballs already. I well, like I just remember how exciting it was that we had a meeting with a mutual, very close friend of ours who actually manages a record label and pretended that um, that has some relevance to us because yeah. we want to be rock stars. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't wait for like the bowl of Skittles where I can just be like, it's got to be all red, mate. <laughs> a rider. Like, yeah. Do we get a band rider? <laughs> I'm surprised you don't give me a rider. And yeah. they're like, when I get there, I want this, this and this. Well, I've just spilled a glass of water. That's about as close <laughs> as we get to a band rider. Yeah. And um, we're mopping it up with, yeah, jumpers. So look, we're not... <laughs> but it was really great to talk with him, wasn't it? And just think about how we can make sure that what we're doing is really valuable and getting to people so... Yeah, it's been a, a really good week. Yeah, I think so. And uh, people will see us ramp up some activity in the coming weeks. We've now committed to it on episode 18, so it's here now. Yeah. So we'll get there. Um, uh, had a lot of feedback this week. Some really yeah. good feedback. It was awesome. Um, yep. Off the back of episode 17, which was about Stand By Me and Bad Kids. Mm. Um, I think as you actually unpack the episode and uh, listen to what we're saying about bad kids... Um, you learn a lot more about it. And I had some uh, some great takeaways about how to look after these kids. Um, found um, Reflecting upon Maslow and the hierarchy of needs, yes. I have gone back over Maslow and I'm all over his hierarchy of needs. And that's, that's kind of one of the key things. Um, mm. Hard to unpack and jump straight into some stuff here, but I think um, talking about being... Uh, too disciplinary and being too punitive just to make you know kids comply is bad outcomes. But that's that's jumping ahead to a lot of other stuff. So I just I thought it was a really good episode. So I appreciate everyone's feedback and questions that we'll go through today. Yeah, no, some of the feedback about that was yeah that come you know not going for compliance and found that helpful. And yeah, you know, even you were talking um, about you know seeing some kids running around the neighbourhood and thinking about it differently about how it's not about getting them to comply, but you know, relationships and reinforcing the good stuff. And I I did take a different view as well. I do. It changes my view, honestly. Mm. That last step really did change my view um, and what I could do to help as opposed to just comply. So, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, because anyway. you occasionally get some kids in to do some work, some boxing training, which is really <laughs> cool. I oh God, I've had one. I, yeah, I, the door is always open for a little bit of uh, some pad work. Some pad work. I actually had a guy come over this week. Been a been a while. He wasn't a kid, but he was he was an adult. He was like, "Oh, can I come over and do some boxing?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah. sure." It's great though. Connection, connections are key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, yeah, had one kid come over. He was awesome. Loved it. God, mm. yeah, he was a monster. He was scary though. He was like fifteen. He was like, 
built bigger than me. I was like, oh. Yeah, your footwork, I'm sure, kept me safe. Oh, yeah, I'm very good at running. No two ways about it. <laughs> <laughs> Saved me from a lot of meetings. <laughs> anyway, look, let's focus on the five. I've distilled it down to five questions, so we consolidate a few questions that come in. But here are the five questions we had. So this is about, again, stand by me and bad kids. Um, I'll just jump into them. These were from parents. So I've broken out to two categories this week. One is a couple of questions from parents. And a couple of questions from professionals, and those professionals, different backgrounds, um, working cool. with kids and then, you know, teachers and whatnot. But I'll jump into the first one. Um, what really struck me, so I've I'm, I'm got the excerpts from the, uh, from the Instagram messages and, and emails, sorry. So I'll read it directly from it. Uh, what really struck me was the compassion uh, discussed that we need to keep showing these kids. Uh, I must confess, though, it's so bloody hard. Uh, and tough to keep trying to pump up their tyres when they struggle to get past the bad behaviours, particularly when they show this behaviour over and over. Billy, the question is, how many chances do you give? Even if we're broken from these behaviours, how do you keep going? Yeah. God, we get some, like, real just vulnerability and honesty through, don't we? Like, Yeah. I, I do some other stuff, like, and it's just amazing that for some reason this podcast really gets people coming out and giving us their real experience. And, yeah, the first thing when I hear that, it's kind of, yeah, it's so tough, isn't it? Like, And just how difficult it is when you're kind of putting so much. Because this isn't obviously a parent who's like, I don't care about this. I'm just going to ignore it. This is a parent who's trying really hard to make something better. This is a parent that sat through an hour of us going on about (laughs) wanted to hear about it. I'm joking. But that's the thing. They've dedicated the time and now they're following up with questions. We love that. And that's showing how much you're working towards. Totally. And I think, you know, the thing that comes through for me is a lot of the families that I see when we kind of sit down and go, this is what is happening. And the families that get to us are always families that have been trying really hard to make those things better because, you know, they'll try at home and then they'll kind of sit on these long wait lists. And if you're kind of doing something and it's not working, I would say don't keep doing it. And we kind of get caught in these cycles. And it's it's really important that parent has a really good way of saying like, you know, this is is getting too much for me like mm-hmm. and i think it's completely okay to tap out and say yeah we got to reset we got to give it a break and you know it's also a really good opportunity like when we are struggling as parents around our kids especially older kids so mm-hmm. they can kind of pick it up to role model that this stuff's actually really hard for us too like mm. and so when you're calling out like we think we spoke on the last episode about we're not challenging the kid we're challenging the behavior mm-hmm. You know, saying, I'm finding this hard and I'm sure you are too. And Like, how can we find a better pathway? And that's the thing. If you're kind of putting a lot of effort into something that's not getting better, I would always say, let's go a different way at it then. And, you know, the obvious stuff is kind of dropping the expectation to something smaller and saying, well, we will get to the point of that, but let's first kind of get step one of, the, you know, the 10 steps for that. The other thing is, and I remember I mentioned it on the last episode, like this one, you know, this parent, a mum, I think, is like in this cycle, negative cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think I spoke last time about Patterson, this researcher who built up this kind of whole theory around what's called a coercion cycle. Mm-hmm. Coercion is kind of like harsh authority, I control you kind of by negative influence on you. A really basic example of a coercion cycle is like even when little babies are crying because they're wet. Mm-hmm. They don't want that feeling anymore, so they cry and then mm. we go in and change their nappy because we don't want them crying. 
and then that ends that kind of negative experience of the baby of being in a wet nappy or us hearing them crying. So that's like a cycle. What happens with like toddlers and then really um, gets set in stone for a lot of kids to the point where they're teenagers is in conflict you're in a negative coercion cycle where one of you is looking to be the winner. So I'm going to keep coming at you and threatening to take stuff or whatever or escalating or shouting or whatever until you comply and then it ends and then it's over. Now what the parent learns if the parent wins is that that's how I get what I want. I get the room cleaned by coming down hard at them. I make sure they don't go out again and do something really bad by grounding them for a month. The kid, when the kid wins because he goes, we'll stuff you and throws a chair and goes, I'm out of here, he's won and he's learned, I throw the chair, that's how I get out of this and that's how I win. And so both of the people learn from that as individuals when they've won, it reinforces it. What we've got to try and do, and pretty much every parent that's listening to this will be trying to do it, we've got to try and see that win together with our kids so that it's not a battle. It's kind of we are struggling as a team on this specific thing, what's a way for us to you know, win and have victory in this and succeed together. And that's the bit that's kind of really important and that's kind of the idea of, I think, maybe on the guilt podcast we talked about um, – the difference between psychological control and behavioural control of kids. Psychological control is like harsh, I challenge who you are. You know, I can't believe you're this type of person that would do this to another kid. Mm. And then behavioural control is, hey, you can do better than this and I'm going to, you know, help you do it and I'm going to guide you and we're going to work at it together. And that's kind of the difference. And that's why, you know, this parent obviously has a lot of focus and a lot of good stuff but just changing it dropping the expectation taking a break always pick one or two really specific things that you're working on drop everything else yeah and i think just on that specific things you flagged last step was like walking through doors so that's the one where you're like this kid was struggling so much to sit in class they weren't going to sit there for 40 minutes and they weren't going to politely put up their hand and ask questions and respond respectfully so the teacher, you said, did this great thing where they paired it all the way back and just said, mm. let's get him good at walking through doors, like entering the classroom and start there. That's not the end for that kid, but that's where we start. No, so that breaks that coercion cycle because yeah. what that says is that I'm going to pick something you're doing that I really think is good and you're going to feel good about it and that'll keep you doing it. Like we all kind of keep doing the stuff that gets attention and draws people and all those things. The problem is for a lot of kids it's like when they start playing up or they get stressed is when people will go into them Mm. and they actually don't care, oh, mum must be exhausted or the teacher's got to worry about all the other kids. They're like, ah, this is how I get you to come in. Yeah, I shout, I throw stuff, whatever. Like, Yeah, and the kids that we're talking about, the bad kids, are at just a really high level of like – stress they're hypersensitive to being challenged and all those things Mm. so they just go straight to escalation boom yep yep um okay round this one out this parent also dropped a bit of our own language back at us which we love to hear they said um uh, by the way uh, ps i'm i'm just back from uh the musical frozen (laughs) i'm not there yet i'll be there i'm sure we'll be um uh, we loved every minute um, of our one-on-one time uh, so that protected time together this week was awesome even after a week full of Griswolds 
Yeah, nice. That's <laughs> awesome, isn't Griswolds, it? Griswolds, yeah. Still remember where we were coming up with that. Yeah, it's great. People still refer to themselves as fans, which is cool. Occasionally, Billy. <laughs> they, they always go, I'm a fan. <laughs> to make us feel better. We love fans. We love listeners as much. <laughs> Five stars, share, like, comment, all those things. The reviews, yeah. Um, yeah, cool. All right, got another one here from a question. From a question from a parent. So... This is our second parental question. It is a long one, but it's well worth reading, so we're going to read it all. Hey, Billy and Nick, if you have a chance and you stand by me part two, could you please talk about what uh, to do when children outright refuse to work with you or do what they are asked? I'm not talking about things, rules that don't matter. I mean refusing boundaries that are in place to keep them and those around them safe. Sometimes it feels like we run out of tools with this. We know our daughter won't comply threats and punishment don't work it only causes an escalation in their behavior pretty much what you literally just said to us billy so that's cool yeah but she's only 13 so we are still meant to be parenting her and it feels like we should be able to set some boundaries everything we're doing currently is about de-escalation relationship encouragement and kindness but sometimes we need to draw the line of behavior any clues on how to manage this without tipping the scales away from our relationship Amazing. What a question. What a question. Two really cool things that we got given there are the age and what the parent's already doing. So that's really cool. So the age is really important because, yeah, refusal. So kids who refuse, um, there's two common peaks in that. I kind of see refusal is like a kid trying to solve what they see as a problem. It's just really primitive problem solving. So you can kind of, you know, escalate and crack it you can refuse and just say no way or you can avoid and just go i'm going to avoid my parents i'm going to avoid you know having that situation come up the highest level is problem solving is like being able to go yeah cool like i'm 13 i'm just going to you know imagine it's stuff around boundaries and you know you can't do those things you're not old enough or whatever and or i need you to do this to make sure i know you're safe or whatever it is and the, what the child needs to be given is like the perspective of the parent, but also like the skill that they need to be able to, you know, kind of con- to achieve that outcome that the parent's looking for. Okay. So we know there's two really big kicks in kind of refusal. Um, the first one is toddlers. And, um, you know, that's kind of when they get through, they start getting control over their environment, but don't yet have the perspective of others. So mm-hmm. they're, just, they're not kind of being mean on purpose or selfish on purpose or just grabbing everything on purpose. It's because they don't have understand the concept of you're a person. Yeah. They just go, oh, I'm the only person and the whole world is for <laughs> me. Teenagers are different. Teenagers are different because when you hit adolescence and go kind of through puberty, you have this huge big jump in your physical and cognitive abilities. And mm-hmm. The problem is it's also this kind of can be really fraught with emotion, emotional turmoil. So you like – you know, you move away from your parents, it's a big step, your peers mm-hmm. become more important, a lot of risk-taking happens then. And they also kind of challenge absolutes. So what I mean by that is kids who are younger are much more concrete. They're like everything is good or bad or right or wrong. Whereas what adolescents start to develop is actually that's your opinion. Oh. As a parent, that can be super challenging because oh. you're like, no, no, that's just what happens. That's what happens. You tell me when this thing happens. You have to do this. You have to do that. And teenagers start going, actually, I don't. Like, that's your opinion. I have a different belief around that. Mm. 
And so hopefully we'll be really ready by the time our girls get to, sure we won't, but get to teenage <laughs> years. But yeah, they really, you know, normally it is a completely normal developmental thing for teenagers to question things that they kind of thought were were just objective and certain. God, I don't know if that makes sense, but so that's what often happens. So there's kind of two really cool things to think about is like there's some really good research about you know, how do parents know what's going on in their kids' lives? Mm. And there's three ways you can think about that is they say, hey, what's going on? You know, they ask. They kind of control them so they know what's going on. They're like, I'm going to be yeah. – I'm going to have eyes on you every minute. Okay. I'm going to know everything yep. is going. The third one is really powerful, which is the kid tells the parent. And if you can create that and foster that, there's really good evidence that kids who go to their parents and adolescents who go to their parents – and tap them on the shoulder and say, this has just happened, it's awful or whatever, is really, really, really protective for their mental health, adult development, all that stuff. And you do that by doing all, all the things, like there's no shortcuts to that, is there? No, but realising that like you don't have to do it perfectly. So yeah, okay. you kind of, teenagers are really interesting because often teenagers will come in in the evenings and that's kind oh, of the time when they fire up. Yeah. We might have talked about that before. Yeah. And as a parent, you're like, oh, man, I'm done for the day. Like, I can't have this deep conversation about how Samantha and George and, broke up. And that, and that's because that's how their brains work. Yeah, like just it's how a physiological thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yep. it's what they're going through, kind of an evolutionary thing. But, um, but yeah, so it's thinking about that and saying, I don't even really care about your control element or how much you go into them and say, hey, what's going on? But if you can set it up. So that when they come and try to connect or get support or guidance, it's a positive experience. They'll keep doing it. And kind of when kids become teenagers, there's one theory that is you kind of move from being a manager to a consultant. So when you're a, when you've got little kids like our age, we're really managing our kids, and we will be for many years. Yeah, it's pretty strict. But the consultant <laughs> bit, yeah, is that they come <laughs> to us and they go, "Hey, I need help with this. I'm getting bullied at school." Or, you know, yeah. um, this has happened or whatever. So, yeah, that bit is really cool. The other bit is kind of, yeah, thinking about how we get to that problem-solving bit, which is like instead of punishments or avoiding things, mm -hmm. we go to a much higher level, which is like we're going to solve this problem together mm -hmm. and thinking about that. And you can hear in this question this family is really focusing on that. So that's the bit. Really cool. What are the four things that she says that she's doing? I'm stupidly assuming it's a mum, but the parent says they're doing. Um, they said they are doing de-escalation, uh, currently about de-escalation, relationship, encouragement and kindness. Sometimes you need to draw the line on behaviour. Any clues on how to manage without tipping the scales away from relationship. So amazing. So that's the sweet spot. So they're nailing the warmth bit, mm -hmm. the, the bit that they're really asking for help with is the kind of the authority bit, like how do I set them up? And that's kind of what you're trying to understand is their perspective in all of this. Like, yeah, that must be hard because you're seeing your friends are able to do something that I'm not letting you do or I'm, I've got an expectation that you don't think is reasonable. So giving it back to them and saying, oh, I think you're struggling because of this and that's kind of called active listening, but giving it back to the teenager and saying this is your perspective, I think, and you correct it if they say, well, no, actually it's because of X, Y, Z, and you go, cool. How can we work together to kind of have both of our perspectives in the problem solving? This family is nailing the relationship bit, but then kind of working with them so that they understand it. And what we do through teenage years with families is 
it's called autonomy granting. So you kind of say, cool, if you knock this out of the park, we'll stretch it even further. But let's make sure together that we all work really well at you being able to go and stay over at a friend's house. Is it a little bit of show me you can do this? Yeah, we'll, sh- we'll show each other we can do we'll this show well. Other, we'll show each other, we'll show each other, yes, because we're in it together, we're in it together. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, oh, mate, I've got, I've got eight years to get good at this, so that's all right. <laughs> so, it's all right. Same, I'll need all eight of them. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, uh, yeah, shape it, not get good at it, just <laughs> arrive. Yeah. <laughs> Ready? Oh, God. Yeah, I've got a big four-year-old's birthday next week, turning four, my daughter. So Yeah, I'm excited. I oh, know, it's huge. Oh, and of course, yes, we've got Evie. As well, turning one, yes, in a few days, yeah. So she's a while off being a teenager, thank God. Yeah, yep. Ready for it? Uh, podcast will be ready by then. I'll just be like, hey, let's listen to this podcast <laughs> together. <laughs> the difference between teaching it and actually doing it. Yeah, that was a really good answer, by the way. I'm just going to say that I thought that was really good. Oh, cool. Like, um, good. Y- yeah. Sorry. Sometimes I get caught in, and I'm like, I hope this is yeah, helpful for listeners. Y- so y- that's y- but you certainly came back. At least and it's I'll be helpful honest. for you. No, no, you came back, <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is good. Dude. Then you're like this, and I was like, ah, okay. Cool, good. Sorry, but really good. Cool. Um, now we had some professionals as well. So yes, that's that's really sort of parent stuff. So the professionals are varied. Um, this person has said, "I work in health with, health with kids. Other than dealing with trauma and assessments to see what these precious kids need to thrive, how can we make sure they'll be okay when they grow into fragile young adults? We feel our service is a safe place in crisis. Is that enough?" Yeah, wow. Um, so, yeah, the safe places, like we talked about this with Maslow's hierarchy, yeah. really important foundation. You can't get to the other stuff without it. You can't get to level three, uh, three four, and five. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so, so important that, that service, whatever that service is, is thinking about that. But then when we're confident we've created that safety, it's really important that we are thinking about all these kids as adults and how do we give them the opportunities to develop skills that will give them success in that when we know that they've experienced trauma? And the really important bits about that are kind of emotional skills, so self-regulation and emotional intelligence and all that stuff. And like I've said a couple of times, I think, you don't just like it's not just time that teaches you that. It's like you, you don't just go and like get to a certain age where you're able to ride a bike or kick a footy well or do anything well. You've got to have someone taking you out and going, let's go have a kick and making it a positive experience so you want to go and have a kick again and then you get better at footy. It's the same stuff with this. These kids need, and it might not be these people because they might be therapists and only get to see them once a month or whatever it is, whoever that professional is, but really put resources and energy into finding opportunities to just to keep going with the analogy, to go out and have a kick, but it's not kicking a footy, it's learning kind of emotional you know, self-regulation, social and communication skills, all of that stuff is hugely important for these kids because they're really vulnerable to it all falling down. So they actually need these skills better than anyone else does that's out there that's rolling around. Better, They need it more than the orchids because the orchids that we spoke about, they only need like good consideration of them and they will knock it out of the park. These kids are at the other end of the scale where they're so hypersensitive to kind of overreactions to retreating to stress you know a lot of kids who act out that have had a lot of trauma they're like i'm not sure what will happen if i try to be good and sit here in this class i do know what will happen though if i throw the chair and they don't care about the outcome 
they just know it's predictable. So they go, I just want to know what's going to happen. So if I kick up, if I tell someone to F off or whatever, I know that they'll leave me alone or they'll come down hard on me or whatever. But if I give them a chance or if I open up, I don't know what will happen. And so how do you kind of keep giving them the opportunities where they do give people a chance, they do open up, they do trust and all those things. And unfortunately me, and I can't speak for that professional, but I don't get a lot of time with these kids, but I really – a lot of the time they're like, oh, Billy, like can we do this assessment or can we start this medication or whatever? And I'm like, actually what I just need is more positive people in this kid's life. You know, if I could do one thing, it's easy for me to write a script and say here's a medication – or to say, actually, here's this diagnosis. Sometimes the best thing that I can do is say, actually, how about as a team around this kid and his family, we try and give them some positive experiences and relationships. And that's about that sort of connection sort of plays into Totally. That, right? I mean, it sounds so soft, but those that we know those are the predictors of these kids. The, these kids having good outcomes are predicted by feeling a sense of self in the community, in the family, people who care about you, you're good at something like all the stuff we've spoken about before that's where the value is in people don't like look back and go yeah i'm so glad that i got given that diagnosis as much as they go back and go man that was a really powerful kind of experience for me actually this is me i'm going to try really hard not to make this a long episode but i was listening to um josh brolin you know yeah yeah josh brolin um so supposedly he's got four kids and the oldest is 33 and the um, youngest is one so good breadth of experience. Big, big, yep. But he said something the other day that I heard, which was that um, kids don't remember what they did, but they remember the reaction that it had. And it's just a really okay. important part about like kids might not remember the story about them throwing the chair, but they do remember getting suspended or they do remember the yeah, parent can't. getting really upset. Yep. So they don't. the story they tell is not... Yeah, well, I shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. They just remember that was a really big reaction that happened. So, you know, it's not to put pressure on us as parents, but just remember that kind of if we can always go to what's the experience like for this kid, that's an amazing first step, and especially kids with trauma. Okay. Cool. So hopefully that was, yep. Yep, no, that was good. It's good. Um, another one from an educator, I think. How do we make it seem fair to other kids in the class I've had lots of comments from good kids regarding the way I, the school, treats bad kids. We aim to do all the things you've suggested. Yeah, amazing. So I reckon teachers are probably the most important profession in the world because you've got to think about how many kids they hold for like six hours a day through like some really formative years in childhood and development. And the, the one thing that's really hard is teachers ho- are holding more and more of this kind of emotional stuff. Mm. So I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast, but I'm just wrapping up a PhD working directly with primary schools to support some, uh, social and emotional development in kids. Yep. And I work really intensely with the teachers and it's kind of them guiding me and we all learn together. There's amazing stuff that we do. And that's where the evidence is. The evidence is that, like, the, you know, the kids that are good kids um, – will also benefit if all of the kids in that classroom have really good social and emotional support around them. And that's the thing. We're not just picking the bad kids and saying, hey, we're going to give you special treatment or we're really worried about you so we'll isolate you or do whatever or do something different with you. Mm. We should be doing the same thing with all the kids and trying to – and I know this person is like not saying that there's two different categories of kids in the classroom – 
but what we want is to see the strengths of every individual kid and then in their weaknesses we want to build capacity and build those skills around their emotional difficulties and kind of lift them and that idea of like a rising tide lifts all boats kind yep. of thing yep of the, every single kid in the classroom benefits if we can do better with the bad kids. Yeah, and it's kind of a bit of a shift on the narrative, but it's kind of this really cool bit of research around classroom strategies. I could do a whole thing on like classroom strategies for kids with behaviour or difficulty concentrating or whatever, but the, there is really clear evidence about the stuff that works and it is really around kind of reinforcing social and emotional development. And then... Yeah, so this teacher I was speaking to the other day actually is part of our, like, how did you find the program that we ran with them? And he's like, you know, the one big takeaway that he got is being able to tell and think about whether the kid is in the right frame of mind to learn or not. Mm. And a lot of these kids, like the good kids are often really in the right frame of mind to learn. A lot of the bad kids, they're just overwhelmed emotionally or they're so stressed or whatever that they can't learn and kind of – we as professionals around them, if we're expecting them to learn when that's happening, we're just asking something that's not going to happen and we're going to feel really crummy about our efforts as well. Yep. So how do we set that up and think about and go, actually, maybe 90% of the class is cool to pick up this skill at the moment, but actually maybe that, that little kid isn't. Yeah, and this is, yeah, so the work you're doing in the schools is something we're going to be trying to do. Well, you're going to be trying to do a bit more of. Yeah, yeah, because it looks really strong and it's that's where kids are. You know, we need to engage parents and the actual kids more, but teachers are hugely influential, like, group of people on the kids that are coming up. So it's really amazing to work with them and learn from them. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Um, I have one more question here, um, another professional question. Uh, something I see all the time in my work is how do you make a positive difference to – bad kids life when the behavior is deeply intergenerational the exposure they have to negative influence is much greater than the positive influence what is the solution to break the cycle of the negative behaviors Mm. yeah what do they say intergenerational don't they intergenerational yeah so it's really common and that's like we've talked about it why we're doing a parenting podcast because we know kind of how you were parented is one of the biggest influences on how you will parent your kids and a lot of the parents that might be not doing things that are beneficial to development probably experience that as a child and you and i have spoken about it like oh this is how my parents were and you can either take those things and go yeah cool that was helpful i'm going to parent like that too or actually, no, I found that really hard as a kid, so I'm going to make sure my child doesn't experience that. But it's not that black and white. We often nope. just do it unintentionally. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, it's the classic thing of I sound like my mum. So, you know, I'm a little bit more optimistic than this question of like there's more bad stuff than good stuff. Yeah. it It's not like the good stuff. The good stuff is hard to see the benefit of quickly and it often takes a really long time for it to pay off. But we, we know, for example, some of the stuff I was talking about before about sense of self in community or I've spoken before about having pet adults that aren't parents that are, take it, are really invested in kids. Those things are actually the evidence shows us that they are antidotes to negative experiences or adverse oh. childhood experiences for kids. Yeah. Sense of self in community or participating in community traditions is really important and that's, that's different for every single kid. And every single community has a different set of things that they do. Some people will be watching footy on Saturday. Yeah, I was about to ask, what are some of these yeah, examples? Some yeah. people it's scouts. Some people it's like a religious belief that they all get together and hold and they yep. go, that's my community. 
you know, like, and those things are really important and those positive things can really easily kind of push back against all these negative experiences that these kids are having. So I think that it's a really understandable question to have that perspective, but, you know, um, and it shows that we should do even more on this topic. There is, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of things that you can do to push back against those experiences those kids have had. We consistently see kids in clinic who are really struggling that have had really negative experiences and I'm really lucky that I get to journey with them and their family and the professionals that are around them. And, yeah, I can't think of a kid where I'm like, oh, yeah, we just gave up. Like it's just, you know <laughs> yep. what I mean? We just okay. went, ah, the bad stuff's too much. It's just some of those kids, it's a long, long time. And it's a long, long time before we see the first chink that things are going to get better. Yeah. Often what happens with these kids is when you put behavioural strategies in, even not the bad kids, just normal kids that are, you know, doing normal behavioural stuff, they'll get worse before they get better because they go, whoa, 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 this isn't what normally happens and they'll kick up and just go, this is change, you know, whatever. If you play the long game with these kids, whether it's just a child who's, you know, maybe having some emotional difficulties that are within the range of normal or they're a kid that is like really struggling, not attending school, antisocial stuff, really bad things in the community. If you play the long game, it can be hugely powerful. Yeah, and that's so hard for parents. Right, like totally. Like you've got this strategy, like let's do it, and then it takes a long time. Mm. Like such a shout out to those folks that, yeah, obviously persist with it. They want to, but it's God, it's 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 tough. Totally, but we shouldn't be. There should be no families out there. Like this is me being a complete optimist, but there should be no families out there that feel isolated in this or professionals. So my research and like a lot of the work that I do in the community is about breaking down those silos so mm. that people never feel alone, and they shouldn't be alone. Like. We should all be sharing this because it benefits all of us. We can't go, oh, this person is now, you know, having criminal activity and look back and go, yeah, well, they should have been parented better or school shouldn't have kicked them out or whatever. It's actually our collective responsibility to be able to see these flares go up and all of us come around these kids. And I don't think that that's a ridiculous expectation to have. I think we can build communities um, and look at all of the stuff that is good in the community that happens like this and just reinforce it and really understand it as well as we can. And like with the podcast, give really good education about where to invest our energy and resources as parents and professionals that are around these kids. Yeah, 100%. It's a good point. Just, yeah, you're talking about it's not just up to the uh, the folks, it's everyone around them. No, but heaps, of, heaps of parents and professionals feel really isolated. And they take it all on and it's all on me to... Yeah, we should do our parental mental health one soon because it's um yeah it's <laughs> I think it's due yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but we got light next week don't we we got a light up next week mm. haven't decided it yet no no so if any last minute requests throw them in because we've got a few bouncing around yeah so we go heavy light just so if anyone's listening for the first time we do something which is uh, a challenging topic um something like we've done bad kids and stand by me but then you know we might do something about like fussy eating which. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, it's not easy. <laughs> Talking from a bit of experience, but not easy, but a lighter topic that um, we can have a bit more fun with and chat about and stuff like that. Um, but Billy, that's that. That's it. Five questions are the best five, not the best five, but the five we sort of distilled down um, and I think capture a lot of the um, essence of what we're talking about and the vibe and what people really want to know. So thanks for running through those ones. It was awesome. I love that. Um, but we are going to be back again uh, next week with our light episode. So, yes, please continue to ask us questions. As we can see, questions come in. We're going to answer them. 
particularly around part two. Um, but if you have suggested topics as well, please ping them through. Um, things you want to know about. Uh, everything is directed by you guys. We have a backlog of things, but we are still open to revisiting those. And if there's anything more timely that we're not thinking about, not always up to date with everything uh, needs to be done or what people really want to know, just prompt us. And the best way to do that, via Instagram, uh, via our DMs or uh, popcultureparenting at gmail.com. And our, sorry, Instagram is popcultureparenting as well. Hit us up there. Any last thoughts, Billy? No, no, it was great. So I think it's a topic we will come back to because there's um, there's a lot I could keep going with, but hopefully that was helpful to people that have asked those questions or people that are listening in. But, yeah, just keep engaging with us because it's it's really amazing. It's the best part of all of this. Yep, and we do joke, but we do mean it. Like, share, comment, five stars if you can. Always helps us. Yes, yes, that's all all we're asking. (laughs) That's all we're asking. You know, maybe put in your newsletter, maybe, you know, send it to 100, but you don't have to do all that, you know, do a few things. That'd be pretty, we'd appreciate it. Yeah. Um, But awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, Nick.